Welcome to The Power of Attorney, Rutgers Law School's podcast. This is Joanna Bond. I'm the Dean of the Law School, and I'm here today with Andy Rothman, who's the Professor of Professional Practice and Managing Attorney of the Rutgers Law Associates. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, Joanna. It's nice to be with you. We always start these podcasts with with the same question, which is, tell us your origin story. We're we're particularly interested in how you arrived here at Rutgers Law School. Wow. Okay. Well, that takes me back a ways. Um, <laughs> I never anticipated um, being a lawyer. I, as a child, my plans were to be um, probably an engineer. I started my college as a math and physics major. Um, then I found the elective classes that I was taking were those that I really most enjoyed, and that was English literature, early English literature, but especially art classes that I'd never taken before. By the time I graduated as an undergraduate, I had a degree in English, and I went on to get a degree in fine arts as a sculptor. Um, and that was my plan, to be a teacher and a sculptor, went on to graduate school um, in fine arts and launched a career as a sculptor. I ended up as a um, teacher of, uh, of drawing and uh, uh, illustration while serving as an administrator at Parsons School of Design, and that was where I was headed. Um, until I realized that a Master's of Fine Arts wasn't going to get me everywhere I wanted to go. And it occurred to me that a JD might be a more interesting doctorate than dusting off Beowulf and doing a PhD in um, early English. Was Was there a particular aha moment for you when you realized law school might be a good alternative? Yeah, there was actually. Um, at the time, my role was uh, as uh, Dean of Academic Affairs for Parsons, and one of the students uh, was unhappy with the fact that we had um, determined that he had to be um, uh, expelled from school. Um, and so he sued us. And... Um, I was responsible for the expulsion, and um, my boss kind of foolishly said, well, Andy, you just called the lawyer. This is a good one for you to cut your teeth on. And I had no idea what I was doing, did call the lawyer. We did manage to resolve the issue when the lawsuit went away, and I realized that I had never been so terrified in my life as to talk to this lawyer. Um... My boss told me that it would be a lot cheaper just to get therapy, but I decided, <laughs> no, it would be a good idea to get a law degree so I don't have to be afraid of people anymore. That's a fantastic story. So what brought you to Rutgers specifically? Um, so Rutgers has um, a terrific evening program, and the evening program is absolutely um as the the same caliber, the same professors as the day program, but it's manageable while you're working full-time. And I didn't leave Parsons. I was working at Parsons 
and able to go to law school at night. And I had fabulous support from uh, my wife, who was also working full time. But we managed Rutgers at night with starting law school with a two-year-old and ending law school with a two-year-old. Wow, that's impressive. I I am consistently impressed by our night students uh, who who do manage to fit law school in around their other commitments, uh, and it's really an extraordinary way to to have a legal education at the same time that you're employed or engaged in other um, responsibilities. So that's great to hear. And the people you meet in the evening program, because they are generally professionals, are often extraordinary. My study partners included the executive vice president of St. Barnabas Hospital. Um, Wow. A vice president of Prudential. Um, I thought I wasn't much of anything because I was just a dean of Parsons, but it was a remarkable, a remarkable group of people who are all figuring out how to do this and, and learn to become lawyers. Absolutely true. Well, let me ask you, let's do a softball round robin now. So okay. these will be rapid fire. Uh, what's your favorite part about being a professor? Oh, of the students. Nothing, there's nothing better than counseling students and being able to um, watch them grow from just, just a student into a lawyer. Most of the courses I teach are, are advanced courses. I, now I'm teaching the first year. But to watch their growth is the most fulfilling and creative thing I've ever been involved with. That's, that's saying a lot because I know you've been involved in a lot of creative enterprises. Uh, and I have to agree, it's incredibly gratifying to watch that development in our students. Okay, so favorite place to eat in Newark and Camden? Um, favorite place, local, right around the law school, across the street, La, La Cocina, a Cuban uh, barbecue restaurant that's fabulous. Not still walking distance, but in the Ironbound District, Tasha Basca, which is a Basque restaurant and is extraordinary. Okay. And Camden, I, I really feel like a carpetbagger in Camden. I'm down two days a week generally, but I'm in and I'm back out. The only restaurant that I've had any exposure to is the Victor right on the water, which is an easy walk. Right. Okay. That's great. And, and what about favorite places on those campuses? Understanding that you're probably more familiar with Newark's campus, but are there particular places that you enjoy spending time? Hmm. Or not necessarily on campus, but in the city itself. Okay. Favorite place in the city of Newark is Branchbrook Park. Um, You get on the light rail and it's uh, three stops away and it is the same landscape architecture architects as created Central Park with one of the most spectacular cathedrals in North America. Um, and more cherry trees in blossom during the cherry season in Washington, D.C. Uh, that sounds incredibly beautiful. It is, it is marvelous. Um, Camden, um, when you're down by, you just keep walking down. The aquarium is... Uh, also with an easy walk of uh, the law school, but then across the uh, street, or across, yeah, across the street from the, uh, or, or quite across the street, 
Uh, right, right next to the aquarium is the battleship, which is kind of fun to look at, looking over the Delaware and just viewing Philadelphia on the other side. Beautiful place to walk. Okay, that's great. Fantastic recommendations. Thank you. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you what advice you would give to students who may be interested in going to law school. Well, first advice I give them is that it is um, it is a commitment. This is a doctorate program, and um, it will absorb really almost all of your time. So your support network, whether it's your children, your parents, your spouse, your puppy, give them time and let them understand that you're going to be committed for the next few years. Get off social media because it's an incredible drain of your time, and you really don't need to see the latest hack on Instagram. Um, and realize that you are going to be reading more slowly than you've ever read before, and that's okay, but you've got to give it the time. That's great advice. Great advice for all the students out there who may be considering law school. Uh, now I want to move our conversation to Rutgers Law Associates, which I know is something near and dear to your heart. You you developed and now manage the Rutgers Law Associates. Uh, it's it's a stellar and unique law practice that that is within Rutgers Law School uh, and has been since two, 2014. So how did this come to be, and how does it work? Okay. Well, the way it came to be was that when I left Rutgers Law School, I worked for a big firm, and I found that there was no actual training to practice law, and I had not had the experience of working in a clinic when I was in the law school, so I had no experience whatsoever. And honestly, I made a lot of mistakes. And there was very, very little guidance, which is understandable because the practice is a running business. They're not an educational enterprise. And I learned and I started teaching more junior of my associates what I had learned um, and thought that I should teach a course, just a simple course in civil practice. And so I asked if I could adjunct, um, and Dean Chen gave me that opportunity. And I realized that really wasn't enough time. I needed a year, a full-time year with people, actually doing it and supervising them. So I recommended, this was in 1996, I recommended to Rutgers that they consider something like what medical school has, a residency program that serves the public and serves graduates of law school as the transition year before going on to private practice. It, it required enormous commitment from Rutgers University because launching such a program was expensive and challenging and new. But in 2013, well, in, 2000, in 1998, the faculty approved it in principle. But in 2013, the faculty approved it in action, and um, the resources were available, and we got started. 
it is a it is not just available to Rutgers students; it's to any graduate of an ABA-approved law school, and it's a one-year full-time apprenticeship. Each of the fellows are, by new court rule, permitted to practice law without direct supervision in court. My uh, team of staff attorneys and I supervise all of their work until they are off in court. And um, it's a general practice law firm. So we do family law. We've done criminal defense matters. We've done some bankruptcies. We've done uh, landlord-tenant cases. Anything for a client who meets our criteria, which is low or low-moderate income, um, that we have the capacity to take, we take. And the experience is absolutely transformational. It sounds like an incredible experience for for recent grads. Uh, so I know you've had, or Rutgers Law Associates rather, has had uh, recent victories. You want to tell us about one or two that that stand out in your mind? Um, sure. Um, we're on a uh, list of law firms that um, the United States State Department has created to serve foreign nationals who's, um, who is a, a biological parent of the child whom the other parent has taken to the United States um, and is not returning to their home in the other country. Um, it's a kind of akin to um, kidnapping in a way because once the child is taken out of the home country, there would otherwise be no court that had the authority to send them back. And the parent from the home country might not have the resources to come to the new country in order to resolve the problem. We recently took one of these cases, um, represented a man from Ireland. Um, his wife was a U.S. citizen, but they'd been married for 15 years. And she brought her sons to visit her parents for last Thanksgiving and then decided she was going to stay and not return to the kids. Um, after three months of protracted pre-trial work, the, the, the mom and her parents financed the uh, litigation with a big law firm uh, representing her. Lots of uh, discovery, depositions, experts, and so on. Um, and on our side, we had one fellow who had one less than a year of practical experience, also deposing experts, developing an ex experts, and developing evidence. Um, the case was ready for trial. And at that point, that fellow's one-year fellowship was over. And so a new fellow came in. And with two weeks preparation for going through the whole file, she tried the case, and the child will be on Saturday on a plane back to Ireland. It was a wow. wonderful victory. Unbelievable. That's fantastic. And what an experience for that relatively new lawyer, recent graduate, to, to have that kind of victory. It's just extraordinary. We, we, we have become one of the state's 
two, maybe three biggest providers of um, legal services to victims of domestic violence, um, which are very quick proceedings. We've had several cases in the last couple of years where we only were contacted by the victim two days before her trial date. And um, complete preparation of evidence, possible witnesses, documentary evidence. And two days later, one of the fellows is in court trying the case. Wow, that's intense, but really an extraordinary learning experience. Then we've had some that are interesting stories, but not so successful. Um, under a grant we received recently, um, and which you now understand will be extended for the coming year, we represent pro bono people who use drugs who are probably completely out of the system. People who may be um, unhoused and um, are without resources. We represented, um, we were directed by a social services organization to a man who had been using heroin and um, on the day that he used heroin in question, he recognized or he thought he recognized that he was overdosing and that he was going to continue to use and to kill himself. And so he called 911. And he was picked up and brought to the local hospital. And the hospital, um, at the hospital, in the emergency room, he turned over to the hospital personnel the drugs that he had remaining. Not sure how this happened, but the police heard of it. And um, without him knowing when he was in recovery, he was summoned and arrested for possession based on his turning over of the drugs. We represented him for eight months. There was, uh, New Jersey has become a very progressive state in recognizing that drug use um, is a health issue, perhaps not a criminal matter, and that harm reduction should be the primary goal of the legislature. This, what we believe to have been lawful disposition of his drugs, ended up becoming a very, very, very hard-fought pretrial, and would have likely ended up before at least the appellate division or to the New Jersey Supreme Court when the prosecutor made an offer that, as lawyers, we had to convey a plea bargain. I remain convinced that had he not taken the plea, the case would have gone up and he would have gone free. Um, but that wasn't our choice. So it was overall a disappointing outcome from an objective standpoint, but our client was satisfied and that was our job. A great lesson, though, in professional responsibility for everybody. Absolutely. The responsibility to take that offer to the client and, and see what the client's reaction to it is. 
that's that's really interesting and and also fascinating to know that that the state of New Jersey is taking a more progressive stance um, on some of those drug related cases. So I also know that that there are other partnerships and organizations in the areas in and around the law school. Uh, what are some of those partnerships with Rutgers uh, Law Associates? So um, we have been, as I say, providing um, services to victims of domestic violence and other victims of crime. Um, that is effectively in partnership with the Department of uh, um, well, in part in the Department of uh, Justice, but it, uh, with the Attorney General's office, we are a, Rutgers Law Associates is a vendor to the um, Attorney General's office for providing services to these victims, including representing them in getting final restraining orders and representing them in housing issues that might be arise from their fleeing an abuser, um, sometimes employment issues, sometimes immigration issues. Um, uh, we have done uh, um, uh, visa applications for under the uh, um, statute that allows for visas for victims of crime. Um, so that's a partnership, I would say, with the Attorney General's office. We also have worked with um, uh, more local entities the Newark Community Street Team is a nonprofit organization in Newark that um, is really, its mission is to end violence in some of the hot spots um, in uh, certain sections of, of town. Um, and to, we have provided services to the decarcerated population. People, when they come out of prison, have almost no opportunity, and having almost no opportunity, um, and generally a significant distrust of the legal system, they may spend the rest of their lives off the grid and outside of the law, helping them to um, find that the law can serve them and to um, renounce self-help methods to resolve disputes in the neighborhood can save lives. And we have been doing that work um, for seven or eight years now. That's fantastic. That is truly transformative work. And you mentioned earlier that Rutgers Law Associates is open to graduates, not just from Rutgers Law, but from other ABA-approved law schools as well. So can you just say a few words about how interested law graduates can apply? Um, well, there is a um, platform that uh, Career Development has um, uh, participates in and which most law schools participate in. It's called Simplicity. And twice a year, we um, publish on Simplicity the process for applying. The apprenticeship is, in fact, different from a job. It is officially a postdoctoral fellowship so that the participants are 
not employees of the school, but students of the school. And that means that that has a, some practical application because it means that during that year, they could defer their student loans. Um, they have other opportunities that are available to students. But all of our fellows are on full tuition and fee scholarship and receive a substantial stipend akin to what one would have in a clerkship. Um, so it's posted on simplicity. People apply the way one would generally apply for a job, submitting transcripts, uh, resumes, cover letters, writing samples. Um, but then that um, the applications are run through a admissions committee that makes the determinations of who's in and who's out. Fantastic. I love the apprenticeship model and the ways that, that you've really built on the medical school apprenticeship model and, and integrated that into Rutgers Law School. Is there anything in the works concerning the future of RLA? Our commitment to the law school has been that we will not draw resources from other enterprises in the law school. And so whether it is by providing low bono services at we charge $60 an hour for legal services, or whether it is under some granting program that we have managed to uh, secure where we can serve people pro bono with a third-party payer for that service, we have been fulfilling that commitment of not having a drawing resources elsewhere. But that's meant that our growth has been gradual. The growth is there, though. We, we are now twice the size that we were when we were started in 2014. And as our funds permit, we keep growing one bit at a time. Are there other possibilities? Sure. But maybe that would be subject for another podcast at some point. Right. Absolutely. That sounds great. Well, it is wonderful to see how the program has grown over the years. Is there, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I'd like to let folks know that Rutgers is the only school in the country that is doing this. And I think that is absolutely consistent with where Rutgers has been for the last 50 plus years. We were at the vanguard of clinical education. We were among the first law schools in the country to offer clinics. Our clinics are among the most robust, active, and live, real clinics rather than simulated clinics. And um, I look at Rutgers Law Associates as a new venture and a pilot program, but coming on the, on the shoulders of a commitment to serving the public and serving our law students with practical training. Um, a couple of other places have tried to do this. Um, I've been asked to talk at a number of law schools about the possibility. Um, so far, we're the only one, and ours is going great guns, so I don't get the other schools and why they're missing out. Well, that is one of the many reasons that, that make me so proud to be at Rutgers. Um, and, and I applaud you for the work that RLA has been doing 
And congratulations again on your your recent in-court victories. That's fantastic uh, and fantastic for our students. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Not at all, it's my pleasure. The Power of Attorney is a production of Rutgers Law School. With two locations just minutes from New York City and Philadelphia, Rutgers Law offers the prestige and reputation of a large nationally known university with a personal small campus experience. Learn more today by visiting us at law.rutgers.edu.